John 4, 7 through 15. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. This is the word of God and we're excited to be able to jump into it today. I'm Joel Wayne, one of the pastors, and we are in a series right now uh, that is no middle ground. We're walking through a portion of the Gospel of John, hitting a chapter a week, which is really hard to do. Um, last week I did John chapter 3. I probably would have normally preached that in three or four weeks. We're looking at John chapter 4 today. Um, and you're hearing part of a story today about the woman at the well in Samaria that Jesus completely changed her life. Um, I'm not going to be preaching this portion of the text today. I will be referencing it. So I want you to know now, if you go to the website and go into the John series, go under the John series, and you're going to see a link to the first 30 verses of John chapter 4, uh, The Woman at the Well. Uh, I preached it in June. That's why. Um, and I came back from a vacation, and I knew that I, I needed to preach that story and just what God was doing in that text. Um, but we're going to be still diving into some of this and understanding what took place at the beginning of John chapter 4, but certainly at the latter portions of John chapter 4, because the story of the Samaritan a woman who is at the well reveals a lot about who we are, and it also reveals a lot about who Jesus is. And it teaches, teaches us a tremendous amount about our condition. Here's a, here's a lady who had been married five times. Jesus knew these things about her. She's now living with another husband. She's trying to find fulfillment and trying to find purpose in all types of things. As a result, she was isolated and she was alone and she could not find fulfillment. She found fulfillment through Jesus Christ and then ended up running out and telling everyone about who Jesus is as being the Messiah. And so here's this remarkable story that we do find at the beginning of John chapter 4. A Samaritan woman living in despair found hope through Jesus Christ. She found contentment and fulfillment in Jesus Christ. And we, we certainly know that it was unusual for a Jewish man to even go through Samaria. Um, here's a Jewish man. If, if, a, if a Jew could walk around Samaria, they would walk around Samaria. They certainly wouldn't go through Samaria, walk through it. And you're going to find out later in this chapter, Jesus ends up spending a couple of days there, which he would not do. A Jewish man would not be caught speaking to a, a Samaritan woman, and yet here he is engaging with one and even asking her for a drink of water. It's remarkable to see what Jesus Christ is letting everybody know. And again, you can go listen to this message if you want to um, later on. But in this first portion with this woman at the well, Jesus is letting everyone in the world know that no matter who you are, where you're from, what you've done, there is always hope and redemption in the name of Jesus, period. 
period. So you can throw whatever judgment you want to put on other people, whether they're from Samaria. You can put whatever stereotype you want to put on people because of if they've been married to more times than you think they should have been married or whatever it is. There's always hope and renewal and redemption to be found in Jesus, period, point blank. Doesn't matter. Praise the Lord what you think. I know what Jesus has already done. And so that is John chapter 4. Um, and the woman at the well from Samaria. It's remarkable to see it. Absolutely love it. She finds out that you can drink water that provides true fulfillment where you never thirst again, or you can keep drinking from the same well that has sand in it, has dirt in it, that's filthy in all types of ways. And she found life in Jesus. That's the first 30 verses. Never in my life have I preached 30 verses that quick. All right? So John chapter 4, go ahead and turn to verse 31. And I'm going to continue in this because here's what's been taking place. Um, so they go, they're walking through Samaria. Their disciples are already questioned, Jesus, why are we going through Samaria? But he goes there. The disciples go out to try to find food in a nearby town. They come back from finding food in a nearby town is what they end up doing. And the Samaritan woman has taken off and she's already encountered Jesus and amazing things are happening. But they come back and they've got some food and they say, they come to him and they say, um, hey, um, Disciples are urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. Rabbi, eat. Now, anybody here ever wanted, um, you ever woken up and like, man, I need some strength to get through today. Anybody been like that before? Anybody wake up like that today? Okay, awesome. Um, anybody woken up in life before and you go, man, I just need to try to find some fulfillment and satisfaction. Somehow, I need fulfillment. Anybody? Right? We've all been there. You might as well raise your hand. Right? You guys, friends, you got to remember, where am I from? I'm from the South. In the South, people interact and they engage and they give you hallelujahs and amens and everything else. And uh, so anybody going to give me some hallelujahs today? All right. I'm going to hold you to it. Right? Uh, West Michigan ain't going to know what hit them. All right? Um, and so here we go. We look at this, and they're finding, they're going to see, Rabbi, eat this. Because they're going, I know, we, we know you're hungry. We know that you're looking for fulfillment, for fulfillment, that you're looking for some type of satisfaction for your, for your stomach. And so here, you need to eat. And here's what Jesus says. He says, I have food to eat that you don't know about. Right away, the disciples are like, what? Did you, did you give him something? Did you give him, wait, where did he get, what, what's going on here? I have food to eat that you don't know about. So the disciples said to one another, has any, anyone brought something for him to eat? I, I imagine the disciples somewhat being like kids. Yeah, I'm, I'm dumbfounded that kids, for some reason, don't think parents can hear them speak about them. Right? I, I'm, I sometimes, my kids are like, can you believe mom and dad? Blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, guys, I can hear you. Right? I think Jesus did that in a, in, a, in, a, in a fun way. I think he did that sometimes with the disciples. Like, guys, I can hear you. Of course, he's Jesus. He's also like, and I know your thoughts. Um, but he's there, and he's processing this, because here come the disciples, and they're like, has anyone brought him something to eat? What's going on? And Jesus says, listen, guys, listen up. My food, you're about to see where he finds fulfillment, satisfaction, where he finds um, his, his food, his nourishment right here. My food... Isn't that what food does? Nourishment, satisfaction, all these things. My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. If you try to find fulfillment, nourishment, if you try to find it from anything else, it is always temporary apart from doing the will of the Heavenly Father. And isn't that what we were trying to emulate? 
to do the will of the Father, to give him glory, to give him honor? Isn't that what we're wanting to do in life? Is it to say, man, I'm, I'm hungry, but I already know where the real source of life is. My food is to, to do the will of him who sent me to accomplish his work. So that's, that's John 4, 31 through 34. Guys, here's my satisfaction. Here's my strength. Here's my nourishment. Here's my fulfillment. It's to do the will of the Father. And that's what you have to ask every day of every moment that you are living out life. If you claim to have faith in Jesus Christ, are you doing the will of the Father? Are you doing his will? And then he jumps in, in John chapter 4, verse 35 and following, he jumps into a proverb. So this means it's something they would have been aware of. And he, start, he tells them, guys, don't you, don't you get it? He says, do you not say, verse 35, there are four months, then comes the harvest? This was, a, this was a proverb based on real life, and this is how they would function. There are four months, then comes the harvest. Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Or another way of saying that is they're, they're ready for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life, so that, so, so that sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labor. So right away, Jesus is teaching them, here's a Samaritan woman, here's true fulfillment. I'm going to give you water that, that, that springs up to eternal life, the disciples come and say, here's some, here's some food for you, Rabbi, eat. And he's like, no, don't you know that my real nourishment, my real fulfillment is to do the will of the Father. And the will of the Father is to get busy right now. That's the proverb. Is that the proverb was, hey, four months later, hey, you've already, you've already planted something. You just sit back and relax. We'll get to it when we get to it. We got, we got months before there's any kind of harvest that's going to come up. Don't worry about it. And what he's letting them know is, no, right now is the time to gather the harvest. Right now, there are people ready to step into the kingdom of God. And so get off, stop resting on your laurels, and actually get busy doing that which God has called you to do, which is to do the will of the Father, which is to go out and to let people know about Jesus Christ. He's like, stop being lazy. So he just declares it. Lift up your eyes, he says. Stop looking at your feet, walking through every day individually one at a time, hoping just to get through the next hour. Pick up your head and recognize, I've got so much work for you to do to be a part of the kingdom of God, and it's time to get busy right now. Lift up your head. Lift up your eyes. See that the fields are ready for harvest. And so he's letting them know that there are people right now ready to be part of the kingdom of God. It's just they simply need somebody to tell them about the kingdom of God. You know, one of the things that we love to do is uh, we always want to say, well, what's God called me to? What's God called me to? What's God called me to? And we want to know what God's will is for our life so often. I hear it all the time. I've preached on it before. And what we can tend to do is God can call us to do something, but we, we assume that if it doesn't make us comfortable it's actually for somebody else to do. Like even in a, in, a, in a larger ministry, you can step in and go, well, somebody else will do that. Well, if you've thought about it, maybe that's Holy Spirit speaking into your life for you to do it. And you'll be like, well, that doesn't make me comfortable. I'm not trained to do that. It doesn't matter. Right? It's not about ability. It's about availability. 
And will you be available to do the will of the Heavenly Father? Because that's where true nourishment is coming from, where you can truly find satisfaction, where you can truly find joy, where you can find the nourishment and the fulfillment that you need for every day. And he's telling them, man, get, it's time to get busy with this and to make sure you're doing all that God has called you to do. So he's making sure they're aware of this to get out and actually start reaping some of the rewards. Because, listen, uh, it, it tells us in one of the passages here, 1 Corinthians 3, 6 through 8, some of us don't like the fact that somebody would do, they would do all the sowing, that's the work, planting and preparing the soil and tilling, and then somebody else would come and take the, the produce. We're like, that's not fair, I did all the work. Friends, it doesn't matter what you have done. All that matters at the end of the day is that God receives all the glory for it. That's all that matters. It doesn't matter if you're the one who did all the dirty work and your hands are scraped up and everything else from working in the dirt and somebody else grabbed all the produce. It doesn't matter as long as at the end of the day, God receives all the glory. To God be all the glory. To God be all the glory. To God be all the glory for every single thing in your life. That's all that matters. People don't need to remember your name, my name, name of this church or anything else. They need to remember the name of Jesus Christ. And so understanding this, there is work to be done. He's saying, start getting busy. Let other people know the harvest is ripe. And then he shows a demonstration in the following verses in John 4, 30, 39 through 42. He shows a demonstration of someone in the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman, who actually started getting busy who didn't just show up and go, oh, I'm going to go to church and I'm going to worship God for a little bit and then just live my own life the rest of the week. That is not a believer's life. A believer's life is every day you wake up and say, to God be the glory, I will do his will, his purpose, no matter what. That's the way we should be thinking. Why? Because we have no life apart from him. Amen? Go Southern on me. It's okay. Jesus loves Southerners too. That's the only purpose in it for the life of a believer is to do the will of the Heavenly Father. That's fulfillment. He's already addressed that. And he's saying, get up and go do the work. And now in verse 39 and following, it says this. Let's throw it up on the screen if we can. It says, and many of the Samaritans of that city believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified. He told me all that I ever did. I love this. I think you've got a woman right here who not only is amazed by who Jesus is, but is amazed that Jesus would love her after knowing all that she had done in life. It doesn't matter what you've done in life. Jesus still loves you. But you do need to profess faith in him and then be obedient to his word. It doesn't matter all the problems she had. It doesn't matter how many times she had been married. It didn't matter all these other things. God still loved her. And so many of the Samaritans of that city believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified. Now hear this right now. This is why I say, everybody say testify. I know we don't like that up north because we think it might offend other people. You are required by the word of God, if you profess faith in Jesus, to testify about what Jesus did for you. And some of you are going, my testimony is not, it's not, that, it's not that powerful. My testimony is not. Every single testimony is powerful. You want to know why? Here's at the base of every single testimony. You're a sinner. You have no hope apart from him. God gave his only son to die for you so you have eternal life. That's worth testifying to by itself alone all day long. Stop bringing your friends to church to hear about Jesus. Tell them about Jesus wherever you meet them. Because now Samaritans, remember, Samaritans didn't even like Jews. Jews didn't like Samaritans. And the Samaritans, they don't even have to have miracles. Now, this, this is important. Because what happened? Wedding at Cana, Jesus turned water into 
Okay, so all of a sudden, water's turning into wine. He knew that when he began performing public ministries, everything in his life was going to shift, and everybody was going to want more and more miracles to be done. And guys, you've got to be really careful about signs and wonders. The reason you have to be careful about it is because so many of us, we want more signs and more wonders over and over. Well, if God will do this for me, that's a sign. If God will do this for me, and you'll never, ever win. You're in a losing battle. You'll lose every time. You just want more, and you want more, and you want more, and you want more. And God will do this. And you're like, oh, God, I love you so much. And three months later, something else happens. You're like, oh, God, if you would just do this for me. And your, your faith is built on a foundation of circumstance is what it ends up becoming rather than a foundation of a faith that is already in Jesus Christ regardless of how your day goes. Amen. You've got it. Please, friends. So many of the Samaritans in the city believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified. Can we go back to that scripture, please? He told me everything that I ever did. So when the Samaritans had come to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. So yes, Jewish people, not even supposed to go through Samaria, but now he's camping out for a couple of days because he loves everyone. Everybody's like, you can't be here, you can't be here, we gotta get out of here. And he's like, just calm down, I'll be wherever I need to be. So he stayed there for two days. And he stayed there for those two days, and many more people believed because of his own word. Friends, the Samaritans simply believed. The Samaritans believed out of a testimony of a woman and by spending time with Jesus. That was it. No miracles required. Is that enough for you? Even the Samaritan woman, remember, he just said, listen, I know, I know who you are. I, I know you. He looked at her and said, I see you. I know you. I know everything you've been through, and I love you. And she's going, well, the a Messiah is going to come. And he says, I am he. This is the living water that wells up to eternal life. Samaritans didn't have to have the miracle. But so often we need to have the miracles. And that's what happens next because here's all these people coming to know Jesus Christ. In verse 42 through 45, we see that now after the two days, he departed from there and went to Galilee. Jesus was from the region of Galilee. Born in Bethlehem, but that's in the region of Galilee. He departed from there and went to Galilee for Jesus himself testified that a prophet has no honor in his own country. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans received him, having seen all the things he did in Jerusalem at the feast, for they also had gone to the feast. So here comes Jesus into his own country where he grew up. The people who are most familiar with Jesus, um, they loved him, and, but didn't honor him the way that he needed to be honored. And he knew this. They wanted signs and they wanted miracles. So the, then we come into this story where I really want to camp out that helps to draw a beautiful conclusion to what Jesus has already been communicating in the rest of this. So would you please stand for the reading of the word of God? Verse 46. So he came again to Cana in Galilee. So he, that's the wedding, right? Miracle water to wine at Cana in Galilee where he had made the water wine. And at Capernaum, um, there was an official whose son was ill. Some of the translations will say a nobleman. Um, this is probably an official under Herod. And here he comes before Jesus. When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son for he was at the point of death. 
So Jesus said to him, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. So the official said to him, sir, come down before my child dies. And Jesus said to him, go, your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went away, went on his own way. And as he was going down, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. So he asked them the hour when he began to get better. And they said to him, yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. The father knew that it was the hour when Jesus said to him, your son will live. And so he himself believed in all of his household. And this was the second sign that Jesus did when he had come from Judea to Galilee. This is the word of God. You may be seated. So right away, Jesus is well known already because of what? The miracle he had already done at the wedding at Cana. And now others, he knows other people are wanting to see signs and wonders. Um, and yet here's a man who comes. He traveled roughly from Capernaum to this area of Cana, was roughly about 20 miles, 32 kilometers. He had traveled that distance to come in to see Jesus. Now that's not a short track. Now you got to remember, they're not jumping in a car or anything else. They're walking most likely. And so here they are. He's making this journey. And some of the translations would, would, would convey he's certainly in a hurry. Well, that's what happens. You're in a hurry when one of your kids is hurt, right? When something's happening to one of your own, you kind of get in a hurry. And so he is coming to see Jesus Christ. He's traveling a distance to do that. And he's, he's imploring is another word that's used here, begging. He's really, please God, please Jesus do this. Now, I do, I do like the fact that we don't see this guy stepping in, even though he's an official, he's a nobleman. He doesn't use his stature or who he knows as a way to appeal to Jesus. That doesn't work very well anyway. He simply comes before him and he says, guess what? Um, hey, Jesus, will you please help me? My son's, he's going to die. And he comes before him and he asks him, will you please Jesus responds initially, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. Now, some think that Jesus is being a bit harsh on him. He's just, he recognizes that most people simply want to see signs and miracles. Now, I, I want to I talk about signs and wonders from God. I've already addressed it a little bit. Let me address it a little bit more. Signs and wonders from God are good things. Right? I mean, in, in Exodus chapter 19... Moses and Israelites literally heard the voice of God, yet by Exodus 32, they're building a golden calf because there always has to be more. They literally heard the voice of God. There had to be more. So we see the Israelites continually seeing the, the signs and the wonders from God. Um, King David saw signs and wonders from God. You think about people like Gideon with the fleece and seeing a sign and a wonder from God in order to have confirmation about what he was to do. But listen, the thing is about signs and wonders from God, they must not be, you please, I'm going to keep saying it, they must not be the foundation of your faith. They must not be the foundation of your faith. You know, what Jesus is, is doing in, in John chapter 4, verse 48, he's letting us know that he opposes the posture of unbelief. Some of us actually have a posture of unbelief. I will believe if God does this for me. I will believe. That's, that's unbelief. Like he has to keep doing for you more and more, more and more. It doesn't matter what it is. 
So he's opposing this posture of unbelief. But in this situation, with John chapter 4, this man comes to him, this nobleman, this official, and he calls out to him. He says, listen, sir, come down. So Jesus says, unless you see signs and wonders. And the official just said, sir, come down before my child dies. It's amazing what you're doing. How many of you are parents? Raise your hand. If, if you're not a parent, raise your hand. You don't get it. Like you kids, my kids are always, I love you more than you love me. I'm like, shut up. You have no clue. Do I hear a hallelujah? Go Southern. All right. You, you just, te- te- everybody say testify. Oh, it's good. We're going to change the world. Just right there. Um, kids don't get it, right? Um. A few weeks ago, one of my kids, I, I got a phone call. I never, I have a rule. Pastor Nathan knows this. Um, on my phone, if I pick up my phone and I see somebody calling, if I, don't, if I don't know the name, I simply don't answer. I get all kinds of stuff in my life. And I'm like, okay, there's no way. Um, so I saw a number came in, didn't know it. My prayer is that Nathan Potter would put my name in his phone one day. Um, he never answers the phone. But... Um, it's genius if you think about it. If his name's not in my phone, I go by the same rule. I just model leadership. It's perfect. Oh. Keep going. Keep going. <laughs> I get this phone call. Stop laughing at that. Um, <laughs> I, I, get, I feel really bad right now. God just convicted me. I get a phone call, and I, I didn't know the number, so I put it down, and I started walking away, and literally, it was just like, Joel, answer the phone. So I answered the phone. I was like, oh, man, and I'm waiting to tell somebody, I'm on no call list or whatever it is, um, and uh, so I pick it up, and it's one of my kid's friends who says, such and such fell, got really hurt. You got to get over here really fast, and I never answered those phone calls. So they gave me an address, and I have been apologizing in each service to all law enforcement officers. I respect you, just not some of your laws at times. I, I flew through so many stops. It said I was going to be in like 17 minutes. I got there in 13 minutes. I, was, I put my Jeep Grand Cherokee to the limits, and I got there because one of my kids, why? One of my kids was hurt. It, parents? And you just, it's just what you do, and I can only imagine here's not only a kid who's hurt here's a kid who's about to die and here's a father who comes to Jesus and and doesn't interrupt him but just says don't you know my child's going to die by the way I wish we cared as much for our neighbors as we do our children in terms of their soul I wish we had that type of urgency for anybody in our life who doesn't know the saving power of Jesus. It says, Jesus looked at him and he, re- he recognized, he knew right away, this guy doesn't need signs and wonders. He has faith. And so he looks at him and he says, go, your son will live. And the man believed. He had not seen his son yet. He had not seen a healing yet. And yet he believed because Jesus spoke. Do you believe simply because Jesus has spoken? Do you believe in his power and his strength and his resurrection? 
And he goes down, and servants meet him, and they say, listen, your son's recovering. And, they, and he's like, when, when did this happen? They said, yesterday at the seventh hour. And he goes, that's when, I, that's when Jesus spoke. He knew that's when Jesus said, your son will live. True faith is simply taking Jesus at his word, but he doesn't have to keep doing it. If you're really a mature believer, I know this is not easy. This is a difficult thing, but it's simply waking up every day and saying, God, these are desires that I have in my own heart. One, let my heart be a reflection of your heart first and foremost, so that I'm not always asking for things that are actually in the end going to separate me from me or separate me from you, but let my heart be in, in tune with yours. But also, God, whatever your will is, whatever will bring glory, to your name at the end of the day and if that means I have a bad day or even a bad life if that means glory is at the feet of Jesus so be it I will still praise you I will still worship you I will still adore you no matter what you see in America we've made Christianity about receiving more and more from Jesus when I tell you all the time God owes us nothing more than what he's already done and the giving of his son Jesus Christ to conquer death the tomb is empty but we just constantly want more. Your faith will always be up in the air. You'll be always, according to the uh, book of James, chapter one, five through eight, you're gonna be tossed back and forth, to and fro by the wind, by the ebbs and the flows of the world, by the ebbs and the flows of society, when your faith is built on what else God needs to do for you. He owes us nothing more. And I have to believe that this nobleman, and this is how you really know. I have to believe that this nobleman came before Jesus. Searching and just in fear and stress. The stresses today and the anxieties and the insecurities, are, they're a real thing. They are, hear me say, they are a real thing. And so many of us, we allow those anxieties and those insecurities and those fears to keep us from being where we need to be with God. And you know he's coming before Jesus, running to Jesus in fear. The 20 miles to get to Jesus were at a different pace than the 20 miles when he left believing the power of Jesus. And so here's a nobleman, an official who went to Jesus, who ran to Jesus in fear, but he walked home in faith. When you encounter Jesus, are you leaving in faith? Because if you come, friends, if you come before Jesus and it's all about Jesus having to do more for you and more for you and more for you, you actually don't walk away from Jesus any different. But when you take him at his word and you just trust whatever his will is, it doesn't even matter. That you know the son of God and the fulfillment and the truth that it comes back to the, I, I know where I really need to eat. There's, there's John chapter four, right? Coming back. I have food to eat you don't know about. My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his will. That's it. And my struggle, my, it's not even my struggle, my prayer for you today is I, I know, 
I know how many marriages are in crisis. I'm blown away by just the ones I'm aware of. And there are men in this room and women in this room who don't even know uh, if they're going to stay together. But one of the primary reasons why is because you've given your heart to other things, to lust and to porn or to a colleague at work that you're way too friendly with. And so there's no room for Jesus. That's a reality of it. Or maybe you've given it to other things in your life that sit in your garage or at another home or you always want to spend time with your girlfriends or your boyfriends like hanging out, going to a ball game or whatever it is, but you never make time for one another and you don't ever make time for Jesus. The real problem is you have idols in your life and if you keep the idols, you're not going to have room for Jesus. Some of you are coming before Jesus Christ and you have this stress and this anxiety and this worry in your life and you just don't know what to do next. You don't know how to handle the anxiety of the illness that you have. You don't know how to handle the worries that you have in terms of dealing with the physical pain. And so you come before Jesus and you say, you know what, I trust you no matter what. So what I want to do for you, for, you for, for us right now is I just want to spend a few minutes in prayer. We've, we've wanted this service, even in the music, just to be kind of more tempered and, and just kind of low key. We're gonna, we'll get our worship on tonight, worship on the lawn, right? The world's going to hear. But right now I want us just to sit. And I want to pray for us that no matter what you're walking through, maybe it's a job, maybe it's like, I don't know if I can keep working here. Maybe it's how to be a witness. Maybe it's learning from a Samaritan woman that you can go and you have a voice no matter what. And you're going to tell other people about him. I just want to pray for us right now. So you you can put your stuff out of your lap if you need to. I'm going to take a few minutes. I just want to pray and give you an opportunity to sit with God. So let's pray together. God, I love you. And there are some people in this place, God, that um, just like this official, they're coming to you in fear and worry and anxiety. I believe he was with a sick son who's about to die at home. And they don't know what to do with it. And it's just deep in them. And they're coming to you, but they're not walking away any different because they don't take you at your word. They want to get their way rather than to do your will. But Lord, I'm asking that every single marriage that is in this place, God, that you would step into it right now, that you would bring light to those who are blinded to their sin so that they could confront it, repent of it, deal with it, and then be restored from it, renewed from it, redeemed by you. I'm asking that you heal marriages. I'm asking that you would step in and do a mighty work, that even this afternoon you would allow for some conversations that are not easy, that are difficult, that would, that would bring honor to your name, God. 
I'm asking that you would give direction for those who don't know how they're going to provide right now for their family, but you would give direction, that you would give peace and clarity on what to do next for relationships that are broken, for those who are in jobs and they don't know how to move forward. God, there are many in this place, they're wanting this just to be a little, a little energy for the week to get through it, and they are living a life in which is not, it is not giving you glory, Lord. It is not pleasing in your sight. God, may they step into a new life, a new creation in you. Lord, there are times I know where we can just run our own race. We've already planned it, Lord. We've planned out our life. This is what we're doing for our career and our job. And we've already determined all of our our steps. God, may we let you determine our steps. Bring your hope. Bring your peace. And may each person who comes to you in fear and anxiety, walk away in deep faith, trusting in you. And may they then testify to your goodness. You are our cornerstone. Lord, may we build all things off of you. You are our rock that is steadfast. And so may we hold fast to your truth. Give hope, give joy, give your peace, O God, to these brothers and sisters.